0: Courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East.
1: Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to morningstarbooksandgifts.com. That's morningstarbooksandgifts.com. Then click on the art and decorative link and click on icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720. Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois. And by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com.
0: Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Soya, your host. And this week is the week we call Great Week, or the week of the Bridegroom. In the Byzantine liturgical calendar, the season of Lent actually ended yesterday, which was what we call the Saturday of Lazarus, which of course features the dramatic gospel of Jesus Christ raising his friend Lazarus from the dead, but also has the detail of him weeping. Which shows and reveals, once again, his humanity, his full humanity and his divinities. Divinity in that he could raise a man from the dead after being dead for nearly four days. And his humanity in that he could cry actual tears out of human compassion and love and grief for his good friend Lazarus. So, despite the tears, it is primarily a day of triumph which then is affirmed and celebrated by the people who witness this on the next day, which would be today, this Palm Sunday, or what we call in the Byzantine calendar, Flowery Sunday. It's a day in which we bless in the Slavic Eastern churches. We bless not only palm branches, but also pussy willow branches. And we hold these branches up throughout the liturgy. We go in procession prior to the liturgy, and it's a quite an incredible sight. It's for, at least from my view, as I look out from the altar, from the sanctuary, into this crowd of people, so reminiscent, making so real the events in the last days of Christ's life on earth. In fact, that's the whole point of liturgy, and especially liturgy during the high seasons, the high holy days now. It makes those events present, and that's why we pray oftentimes with the word today. Today this happened or that happened. Today, as if we are entering into that In fact, not only as if, we are, in fact, mystically entering into that moment and making it as real today as it was then. This is especially true in the very elaborate liturgical services of this very, very high, high and solemn week we call Great Week. And for good reason, Great Week. You can also call it Holy Week, but it's also Great Week and also the week of the Bridegroom. This Sunday of Home Sunday, or Flowery Sunday, is a day in which we anticipate, in a sense, Christ's resurrection. It's sort of a hint at the triumph that will come, only after the resurrection, the triumph will be much more real. As we know, when the week unfolds this week, many people will peel away, who once held those branches singing Hosanna in the highest to our Lord, they'll peel away from faint of heart, from a weak faith when they see Jesus suffer. It's like, wow, that wasn't part of the deal here. We are praising him because he is the powerful one. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He gives sight to the blind. He is our king. He's our Messiah. He's our guy. And all of a sudden, a few days later, they see him in shame, calumny, torture, and eventually death, a horrible death. And they can't believe it a few days later. And so, like us, oftentimes their faith wanes, their faith is challenged, and some did not remain. Only a few did. And that's the journey that we take with Christ, liturgically with Christ during these high holy days, and these magnificent days of rich liturgy in the Byzantine Catholic Church. On this week of Holy Week or Great Week, we walk with Christ on his way to Calvary and eventually to his resurrection. We won't say too much of the resurrection yet. We'll save that for next week. This week, we have to go through the fire first. And we do so in a magnificent way in this great, great week. Now, this week has a history to it. I'm going to refer to a wonderful book, as I have before, but I, I can't say enough about it. It's a classic. It's been around for a while, but it's a classic. And it's called the Lenten Triodion. It's the Lenten Triodion, known pretty much as the Mother Mary Lenten Triodion. It is translated from the original Greek by Mother Mary and Archimandrite Callistus Ware of the Orthodox Church. In his little history of this week, he says this. In the second century, it was the custom for Christians in both East and West to observe immediately before Easter Sunday a short fast of one or two days, either on Saturday only or on Friday and Saturday together. Now, this was specifically a Paschal fast in preparation for the Easter night, you know, the Easter vigil where there were baptisms. It was a fast of sorrow at the absence of the bridegroom in fulfillment of Christ's own words But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and they shall fast in those days. Mark 2, verse 20. The fast, whether of one or two days, was in principle a total one, without any food or drink being taken at all. By the middle of the third century, the Paschal fast had in many places been extended to embrace the entire week from Monday to Saturday. That's what we have today. That's the Holy Week we have today. There was, however, no uniformity of practice And some Christians fasted for less than the full six days. Only a few could really manage to fast totally. Now, we mean that. We actually mean going without food for days or drink. In some places, it was a practice to eat bread and salt with water at the ninth hour, which, of course, liturgically means 3 p.m. And that happened on the four days from Monday until Thursday. But imagine that's all you had was bread and water and salt for those days. And then to keep, if possible, a total fast on Friday and Saturday. In other words, you ate nothing. That's right, nothing. Not all the faith were strict to this historically, but in this six-day Paschal fast may be seen the distant origins of what we know today, of this Holy Week that we're talking about and moving through this week. But the developed ritual to which we're accustomed now in the Eastern churches, with special commemorations on each day of the week, is not found until the late 4th century. Now, during the pre nicene period, there seems to have been a unitary celebration of Christ's death and rising. In other words, they were celebrated together. Considered as a single mystery at the Paschal Vigil lasting from Saturday evening until Easter Sunday morning. This is something similar to the original celebration of Theophany, Christ's baptism, and Christmas in the Eastern churches. It was celebrated basically as one event with two dimensions to it. And later on became separated out about the same time, about the 4th century. So same thing here. We have Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection being eventually separated out. And Friday was kept as a fast in preparation for this vigil. But it had not as yet become a distinct and specific commemoration of the crucifixion. Cross and the resurrection were celebrated together during Easter night. Now you can understand that because baptism is our dying and rising. And we say in the Byzantine church, we bow to your cross, Lord, and we praise your holy resurrection. We always speak of the resurrection and the crucifixion as one continuous move. You know, one in one single breath, even though it's two realities, but sort of like two sides of the same coin. And so we can understand how originally they were all celebrated on the Easter Vigil. Now again, I want to mention that I was reading from the text of the Lenten Trojan by Mother Mary and also Callistus Ware. Classic. I highly recommend it if you can get it. I believe it's still in print or ought to be in print or reprinted because it is a classic. It's just full of all kinds of wonderful information and also the wonderful liturgical text for this season of this past season of lent and also now this great and holy week the week of the bridegroom speaking of the bridegroom as we enter this week now we're moving beyond lazarus saturday which was yesterday and through palm sunday which of course is today and we begin now the journey of the passion and eventually death and of course resurrection of jesus in the western church the three days of of Thursday, Friday, and Saturday are considered the tritium. They call that the tritium in the Western church, and the, those, are, of course, their great days. Well, I mean, they're great days for us too in the Eastern churches, but we extend it to the whole week. So we call the whole week the week of the bridegroom, and there's certain themes and scriptural events that we commemorate on each day. Now, we open this week on Monday, with a repeated theme, because since it's the week of the Bridegroom, we open with the Bridegroom Matins, and it's a theme that will repeat actually throughout most of this week. And that theme is based upon, again, Matthew chapter 12, and the theme is this. Behold, the Bridegroom comes in the middle of the night, and blessed is the servant whom he shall find watching, but unworthy is he whom he shall find in slothfulness. Beware then, O my soul, and be not overcome by sleep, lest you be given over to death and shut out from the kingdom. But return to soberness and cry aloud, Holy, holy are you, O God, through the Theotokos, have mercy upon us. Now, on this Monday, the Passion of Christ is prefigured in the Old Testament story of Joseph. You might remember that. Certainly very familiar to many people today with Joseph and the amazing technicolor dream coat. Well, those are good ways to actually be introduced into the scripture if people ordinarily don't read the Bible as much as they should, that sometimes these dramas are good for that, movies and plays and so on. Well, Joseph's story is kind of a prefiguring of Christ because Joseph was innocent and he was wronged by his own family, his own brethren, his own blood. And he remained chaste, he remained virtuous, and above all, He forgave this terrible crime of betrayal from among his own people. So we can see very clearly that Joseph is a type of the archetype Jesus Christ. And so we read from Matthew chapter 21 and also from the prophet Ezekiel, Exodus, and the book of Job. Now on Tuesday, we move on to Tuesday, our attention is directed to the parable of the ten virgins, teaching us to be ready for judgment day, as we heard from that repeated theme of the bridegroom. One of the words that is very prominent in the prayers and spirituality and liturgical spirituality especially of the eastern churches is this word vigilance vigilance is a is a big word for eastern churches from the spiritual masters it means like a deep kind of constant awareness both of one sinfulness you know being on guard all the time because the eastern saints always say that the spiritual life is spiritual warfare we have to be very vigilant of our own sinfulness but also of the coming of the Bridegroom. We'll talk more about this magnificent week of great week, the week of the Bridegroom, when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loehr on Light of the East.
1: Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep light of the East's illumination bright.
0: Mysticism. It keeps men sane. So said G.K. Chesterton, the famous thinker and writer of the 20th century. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Christian Moment. Christian mysticism actually means that which is most real. The mystical reveals and conceals all at the same time. It is life lived in the tension of paradox. God is three distinct persons, yet one God. He is the righteous judge and the lover of mankind. We come to know God precisely by that which we do not know about him. Mysticism forms part of the particular genius of the Eastern Catholic churches. Our church art and architecture are designed to reveal heaven and to conceal heaven, to give us an experience of heaven meeting earth. God is both transcendent and imminent all at the same time. He is uncontainable and infinite, yet was contained within the womb of a virgin. The elaborate and solemn liturgical services of the Eastern Catholic Churches provide for the worshiper a sublime experience of what keeps us all sane, mysticism. To find out more about the Eastern Long of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
1: You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling. To Annunciation Parish for each theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491 and may God grant you
0: Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Law your host and we're walking through great week. The Week of the Bridegroom. And by the way, for those of you listening on Living Bread Radio in the Cleveland, Akron, Canton area, and beyond, I invite you to go to the website parma.org. Parma.org, where you can get a schedule of the services at our cathedral in Parma, Ohio, which is in the Cleveland area. And you can actually experience, if you haven't already, some of the great, deep, rich liturgical services of Holy Week. If you're a Latin Rite Catholic, of course, you go and attend the services this week, obviously of your own church. But at the same time, you have little time in between I highly suggest that you go to one of the churches in the Cleveland area or anywhere where you're listening to a Byzantine church near you and just experience at least some of these services. But again, go to parma.org. You get to schedule those services at the cathedral in Parma, the Byzantine Catholic Refining Cathedral in Parma, Ohio. And of course, if you're in the Chicago area or if you decide to come in that area during Great Week, you can stop by at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church and experience these services as they are, and I have to admit, And all humility, magnificently celebrated at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church with our fine choirs and magnificent cantors and great congregational singing. Okay, so we're moving through this Holy Week. Tuesday, as I mentioned, is the Parable of the Ten Virgins. We read Matthew 24, Luke chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 1. We continue with Ezekiel chapter 1. And again, we continue with Job, the book of Job. Now on on Wednesday, we commemorate the repentant harlot who anointed Christ's feet and we contrast her liturgically with Judas's agreement made this day to betray Christ. Now it's very interesting. This is one of the really the the great great gems of Eastern spirituality, Eastern liturgical spirituality. It's so well exemplified in this particular day because our liturgy and our prayers uses paradox or contrast to make a point and to immerse us into the reality and to express the theology. I'll read to you just a few examples of the prayers that pit the harlot versus Judas in a very clever way in the liturgy of this great and holy Wednesday. While the sinful woman brought oil of myrrh, the disciple came to an agreement with the transgressors. She rejoiced to pour out what was very precious. He made haste to sell the one who is above all price. She acknowledged Christ as Lord. He severed himself from the master. She was set free, but Judas became the slave of the enemy. Grievous was his lack of love. Great was her repentance. Grant such repentance also unto me, O Savior, who have suffered for our sake, and save us. O misery of Judas! He saw the harlot kiss thy feet, and deceitfully he plotted to betray thee with the kiss. She loosed her hair, and he was bound a prisoner by fury. Bearing in place of myrrh the stink of evil, for envy knows not how to choose its own advantage. O misery of Judas, from this deliver our souls, O God. O son of the virgin, the harlot knew you to be God, and she prayed to you, lamenting, for she had committed sins worthy of tears. Loose me from my debt, she cried, as I unloose my hair. Show love to her who loves you, though rightly she deserves your hatred. And with the publican I shall proclaim you, O benefactor, who loves mankind. And here's one more example. The harlot spread out her hair before you, O Master, while Judas stretched out his hands to the transgressors, she to receive forgiveness, and he to receive money. Therefore we cry aloud to who was sold and has set us free. O Lord, glory to you. You notice know, the clever contrast here. In these services, especially on Wednesday and on part of Thursday, I always say that Judas really goes down hard. And so do, actually, a lot of mentioned of The Jews. I put that in quote. What we do is, we're not talking about a race of people. We're talking about figures in the Scripture that become personifications, not of the Jewish people, but of us. Yeah, us. We become Judas. We become the Jews. Meaning, not a race of people, but Christ's own people. That's why we mention the Jews often in these services on Wednesday and Thursday, in particular, because the point is not. The Jewish people as a race, but the fact that Christ was a Jew and his own people betrayed him. Just as we, Christ's own people, Christ's own children, betray him time and again by our own sinfulness. And so all of these figures and elements and images of the scripture during this Holy Week become personifications of ourselves. I always preach in my parish that when we read the scripture, it's not a history lesson. It's not what happened back then, as great as those stories are. Christ is not an historical figure, just a historical figure. He is that. But he is an ever-present and future and historical figure. He stands beyond all time. So he and the people around him in these events of the life of Christ, especially this last week of Christ's life on earth, these people, these events are our events, our people. We are them. We are in those events. And this is made very real when you move through the liturgical services in our church. That's why it really, really pays to enter into, just abandon everything else you're doing that week. That's right. Just, just give it up. <laughs> Take off work. Forget everything else. Enter liturgically into the ongoing rich liturgical services of this week in the Eastern churches. Believe me, you will know that you are there. You were there at Calvary. You are there walking right along Christ and with the, the apostles in the Garden of Eden. You are there with Judas as he betrays Christ. Believe me, you will know it liturgically. So now on Wednesday, we have this betrayal of Christ. We also have the anointing, as I mentioned. And this anointing we partake in, we have the anointing of the sick. Just as the harlot anointed Christ with her tears and with the oil, so too are we anointed with the blessed oil, which is really the anointing of the sick. It's the sacrament of the sick, the seventh sacrament. And what we do is we're anointed because there is really no fine line, no line, really, no demarcation between physical illness and spiritual illness. In fact, physical illness came to the world precisely because of the sickness of sin. Sin in the Eastern Church is referred to as sickness. It's a sickness, and sickness comes from death. Death came in the world because of original sin. So, to cure the sickness of spirit is to cure the sickness of body. And there is no curing of the body sickness without the spiritual sickness. So we are anointed on all of our senses as part of our preparation for the next day. The next day we shall commemorate the mystical supper, known in the West as the Last Supper. The Eastern Church likes to call it the mystical supper. The readings for Wednesday are Matthew chapter twenty-six, John chapter twelve, Ezekiel chapter two, Job chapter two, and Exodus chapter 2. As you can see, we really immerse ourselves into the scripture. We read the scriptural verses that are the foreshadowings of what will happen in the New Testament. So the Old Testament verses we read are related to and foreshadow what will be in the New Testament with the events of the life of Christ. He brings all that to fulfillment. Now on Thursday, great and holy Thursday, very rich day. In fact, we celebrate four events on this day. That's how rich it is. We celebrate the washing of the feet of the disciples, which is usually done in the Eastern churches only by a bishop or patriarch. Priests don't do that. Only the priests can have their feet washed by their bishop, but only the bishop does the washing of the feet in the Eastern churches, the bishop or patriarch. And that comes after the liturgy. There's also the institution of the Eucharist, of course, we're celebrating really the beginning of the priesthood. It's a very meaningful day for me. It's really the beginning of the priesthood and the institution of the Eucharist. Also the agony in the garden, and the betrayal of Christ by Judas. Now, the agony garden doesn't get a whole lot of airtime for some reason during this liturgical day of Holy and Great Thursday. The betrayal of Christ by Judas gets much more time, as it were, but it's still in there. It's all four things are in there. So washing the feet, institution of the Eucharist, agony in the garden, you know, the betrayal, and the betrayal of Christ by Judas. And once again, we become... Judas, we focus on how we too betray Christ. In fact, we say that in the communion prayer. We pray before we receive Holy Communion that we will not betray Christ, quote, as did Judas, unquote. And we read all kinds of scriptures, Isaiah 50, Matthew 26, Job 38, Jeremiah, Exodus, and Corinthians. Then we come to Great and Holy Friday, where we commemorate the passion and death of Jesus Christ with the great reading of the 12 Passion Gospels and then the magnificent Vesper service with the solemn procession with the burial shroud which brings us then into Holy and Great Saturday in which we take on the persons in Hades in which we witness Christ walking through the depths of Hades so that he can emancipate Adam and Eve and therefore all humanity once and for all at his resurrection and in those days of course we not only commemorate Christ's entrance into hell to break the bonds of death, but also we enter into the Easter Vigil with the themes of baptism, awaiting, being vigilant for the coming of the resurrection. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East.